episode six, Anne Curry. Welcome to the Pour Over podcast. I'm Jade and I'm here with James. Hello. And Colin. Hello. This is a show where we talk to people from all sorts of backgrounds, from artists and musicians to business owners and biohackers and everything in between. In this episode, we talk to Anne about her new sci-fi book, Utopia 5, what it's like to teach an Oscar-nominated actress to paint and what exactly ethics in technology is. Well, thanks for, for coming in, Anne. Uh, nice to see you. Um, how are you? I'm very well, and it's good to see you too. Thank you, thank you. Um, when you agreed to come on the podcast, I was uh, super excited because you are a very interesting person um, and also very diverse. You, you do a lot. You do a lot of different things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you work in technology. That's your kind of day job, is it? Your... Yes, that's what pays the bills. Yep. Um, you did a, a, a conference last year about... Uh, Ethics in technology. Yes. Um, you paint. You're a naive artist. Is that? That's correct. Yeah. That's right. We'll we'll talk a bit about that yeah. as well. Um, but more recently, uh, you released a sci-fi novel called yeah. Utopia Five. Yes. Tell us a bit about that. Um, yes. So uh, earlier this year, I decided that I would try something new that I had never done before. So I write quite a lot. Um, as a technologist, I write quite a lot for tech magazines and that kind of thing. So I'd written an awful lot of non-fiction. And I've always loved science fiction. I really enjoy science fiction. I've, I've loved it since I was uh, five years old. Um, and it felt like I spent years practicing writing. I should give science fiction a whirl, particularly as an awful lot of the stuff I was working on in tech at the moment, uh, like the conference on tech ethics, was about was really about stories. It was about things that will be happening soon in science uh, and in technology that we might think are utopian or we might think are dystopian. So it seemed like a good way to try and get some of those ideas out by writing them down and setting and, and, and putting them in a near future world, so that we could all look at them and decide whether that was something we wanted or we didn't want. And go on. How did you find the change going from writing tech documents slash publications to writing a novel? Well, it's interesting because I didn't really find it that much of a change. I was really expecting to, um, but I think because of what I've taken as the subject, it's so techy and it's so near techy that it just felt like a slight extension of what I was already doing rather than a massive change. If I was writing kind of Western romances or something, then I think I would have found that quite a stretch. But writing about what tech is doing now, because um, although I've set the book in the future, 30 years in the future, and it is speculative fiction, almost all of it is actually true somewhere now. So there's an awful lot of what I talk about, which is already happening in China. So you're not actually, it's not really science fiction, really. Um, it seems like it because it's not going on here. What element of it, I mean, without obviously without giving away yeah. any of the kind of <laughs> ter- twists and turns, but I guess, would it, would it be this kind of surveillance element of it? That's the stuff that's, that you're kind of talking about in terms of in that China are doing? Yes, yes. Because uh, there's, there's an awful lot in the book, and this, this isn't too much of a reveal, because this is revealed almost immediately, um, <laughs> that it, which is about a surveillance society in um, what, what's going on if you're watched all the time and how that might change your behaviour. Um, yes, yeah, so how that might change your behaviour. 
Uh, and in the UK, of course, we are really recorded almost all the time. I mean, we were talking earlier about Siri um, and Google Home and Alexa. They're listening in your homes all of the time. You are constantly surveilled. But in the UK, it's mostly by private companies. So you don't know what the data is. You're being watched all the time. You don't know who's actually doing it. In China, it's mostly the state. Uh, and so people do know who's doing it, it's the state, um, but they're still being surveilled all the time. And we tend to think of the Chinese system as being quite dystopian, but actually it's exactly the same system we have now. It's just, is it worse for the government to be watching you or is it worse for Amazon to be watching you? I suppose Amazon can't put you in prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. And unfortunately, the Chinese governments are not averse to doing that. So, Actually, they don't tend to put people in prison, but they do publicly shame them. So they'll put, if you jaywalk, they'll put your picture up on, a, on giant billboards so that everyone can see that you are an antisocial jaywalker. Um, they also have a, a thing where you're not allowed, to, not allowed to travel if your social credit scores fall below a certain level, that kind of thing. You're not allowed to use the trains, you're not allowed to go anywhere on the plane. How is that measured? How do they measure that as, in terms of, you know, are they, I guess it's not Facebook because it's, um, what's the name of their social network? WeChat. A lot of it is WeChat right, actually. Okay. It, 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 yes, uh, that's a good point because it's, it's, we tend to think of it as being the state in, the, in China, but actually it's also a lot of private business in China. But the private business in China is very tied into the state. So WeChat actually do huge amounts of ratings of you that they then give to the state. So it might be that, that you haven't paid your WeChat bills and therefore you can't use a plane. You know, it's, I'm not saying that is actually the thing because I don't know that it necessarily is, but it varies a lot from one area of China to another. But there's an awfully big tie-in between, um, uh, between business and government on surveillance. But it's an interesting one. I was listening to a BBC um, World Service programme on this earlier today. And it was saying that the reason why this is so prevalent in China is because people like it. It's really effective because you can, you, it's really useful to know who you can trust, you know, who you can lend money to, you know, and you can actually get loans that you couldn't otherwise get because people know that actually you pay off your WeChat bills. Um, and because China hasn't had that in the past, people haven't had access to some of the things that require a level of trust for you to do. So that's the reason why everybody's signing up for it because it's actually of benefit. And what is ending up doing in that? example is giving people the um, giving people access to the financial industry and that you know that side of thing which is known for being quite difficult to do for people of certain you know financial standing basically yes yeah I mean if you come straight out of rural China into the cities and you have literally no credit history no history at all you need to build up quite quickly um, and you don't necessarily have a strong network of people who know you that kind of thing it has worked out very well in China, although it's also quite dystopian. So um, it's quite saying, you know, it's difficult to know which way we're going to go with that kind of stuff. But that was the idea in, in your book, uh, was there are no secrets because everything is, is kind of recorded. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Just yes. kind of, you know, if, if everything's out there, then you have nothing to hide. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. It's kind of... Well, that's that's it's, yeah, it, it's meant it's meant to yeah, yeah, that, right? it's meant to make you really kind of question whether you if if you want that kind of uh, transparency in your own life, 
Mm. But, but, then it, but then it, I assume it would go both ways if you were to implement that in the real world. You, if there's transparency on the individual, there has to be transparency for the you know for all the groups and for all the companies and that kind of stuff. So then, it, yes. then it's not just a case of them watching us; we're watching them at the same time. Whether it makes them act accordingly because they know all of their actions are being scrutinised. Yes, everybody has to behave better. Is the idea? It's an interesting one because I find, uh, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. I thought that I thought people would like it more than would go. Oh, you know, this is a really good idea. We should all do this. Um, but what I found is that the older people are, the less they like it. The younger <laughs> people are, the more they like it. Is that something to do with like? social media and youngsters today they're just kind of you know stories for example when I first was introduced to the idea of having something up for 24 hours and then it disappears I was like what's the point (laughs) (laughs) what's the point but I kind of now I'm we're kind of we have to be involved in that sort of thing with the coffee shop um I understand it more now I'm kind of like okay I, I I get that it there's something nice about that um I, I, the, the other thing, and I haven't really put this in the book, but it's one of the things that has made me think about this. Um, so back in the very, very early days when I was first a software engineer in the early 90s, I worked on um, email systems like Microsoft Exchange. And one of the things that you realise very, very quickly is if you put something in an email, it's not secure anymore. It's out of your hands. It is, don't write anything. Everything I used to say to people all the time, Do not write anything in an email that you wouldn't be happy for everybody to see. Um, Because no matter how good a security system is, if there's something really embarrassing or juicy in an email, it will get out. You know, it's... um, But the same is true. no, No security system is perfect. Absolutely no security system is perfect. There are people, there are gaps, there are holes. Everything you say in your house that's being recorded by Alexa, and that's basically in my house, that's everything I say in the house. <laughs> I, mean, I might say, well, Amazon will do a pretty good job of keeping it secure, but you can't ever guarantee that. You know, even if they didn't have any desire to exploit the data to do anything, you can never, anything that you say in public, anything you say that's recorded, is, you have to assume it's public. Um, that's why I don't have Alexa. You don't have one? I don't have it in my house. But then I, but then I have a mobile phone. I was going to say, yeah. your phone does the same thing. Which is on all the which time. Which is on all the time. But you can't, uh, well, they say you can turn Siri off, right? And Siri's the thing that's listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of stop at like Google Home. Uh, yeah, Google Home and all those ones. I, I just, I can't. <laughs> that's where my that's where I stop. I'm like, no, that that is too obviously listening. I have a At friend who has them in almost every single room, and he controls. Do you? you yeah, we do. My husband loves them. He puts them everywhere. Wow. <laughs> and you're not concerned about? Uh, no, because we don't really say anything that's worth <laughs> that's worth blackmailing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I used to, in my, one of my many millions of bizarre jobs, I did write spyware for a while um, and sell it. It was self-spyware, so I sold it to people to spy themselves, which you think is a crazy <laughs> thing. But actually, it's not a crazy thing at all. People really enjoyed it. Uh, people really used it. Because um, ve- all this data that all these organisations have on you is really useful for you to, to look at. So I used to sell it to... In the early days, I sold it to mostly engineers and, and people who were a bit... 
they, they would use it to record what they did on their computers so that they could then bill people accurately. And then, <laughs> latterly, by then it was lawyers and things who were all recording themselves with it. And, um, and it's a, it was an odd one because people used to have to send me, I, I used to just record everything everybody did online, which as you can imagine, um, there's quite a variety of things that people do online on their work or home computers. And, um, and one of the things that I used to, I hope this is okay to put this on there. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, uh, one of the, the debugging techniques I had was, was that you could just press a button and send me everything you'd done so that I could see if, if you said, oh, we didn't record me doing this and I, I could have a look and see whether you'd done it or why you hadn't recorded. And so people should send me all of their history of what they'd done on the computer all the time. And, you know, they didn't, they'd never seen me in person, but they'd interacted with me on the phone or, or by email or whatever. And um, there was some quite eye-opening stuff <laughs> that people had done online. And they didn't really seem at all bothered about sending me this stuff as, as, because they cared more about getting it fixed so they could fill out their timesheets correctly than being embarrassed by what other dodgy site they were looking at wow. um, every day. And... Um, and it just reminded me, people care about privacy up to a point, but that point isn't very far. Yeah. I mean, they, they would be pre quite prepared to give me information that I would have thought could probably get them divorced. Wow. <laughs> just wow. so they could get their timesheets fixed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like... Um, so, so what are your thoughts on uh, social media, like more kind of Instagram, YouTube, Facebook? Uh, where, where it's more about because I, I know you're quite active on Twitter oh, yeah. um, but I feel like Twitter's a slightly different platform it's more about finding out information sharing information rather than just showcasing your lifestyle perhaps no is that is that I think that's yeah that's maybe giving it too too small a, a description really I think it does a lot it does a lot more than that and Twitter is still very much about how you want to use it Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it isn't, I mean, for you, you might use it for like up to the minute, uh, you know, news, you want to see what's going on, mm -hmm. you want to see what's trending, that kind of stuff, fine. But there are, um, there are a number of people that I speak to regularly via Twitter, not about news, just kind of in general, okay. just having a chat across Twitter. Um, and, and I've had some fantastic discussions, which has got absolutely nothing Pub to do. Public discussions? Yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah. Completely public, you know. You can go back through my thread and you can see the conversations about <laughs> oh. people, you know, because it's sometimes it's on a subject that I'm, you know, obviously interested in, and you start talking about, it and then someone else will kind of yeah. jump in. And you're like, oh, okay, but still, then there's know. that's kind of again that's information. You're you're trying to find out something. I just feel like for me anyway, Instagram and Facebook are more kind of I'm going on holiday or I want to show sure. you this this yeah. lovely thing. Whereas Twitter, I don't feel does the same thing mm. but so yeah what are your thoughts on I, I agree I really like Twitter obviously I, I'm on Twitter all the time it's been enormously good for me for work hugely good it's, it's amazing a really really good source of information and networking and contacts I don't really actually I never use Instagram which is crazy given I actually paint that's <laughs> yeah. just, just a ridiculous um, omission for me uh, and I don't really like Facebook that much either mm. Um, it just feels a little bit, as you say, it's a bit like, here's my life, it's marvellous. And you yeah. think, well, I yeah. think I might want a bit more nuanced than that. Mm. 
And to, to be honest, Twitter can be the other way around. People quite often put on things going, oh, I'm miserable. And you think, mm. well, are you, are you, you know, what's, yeah. is, that, is this the right place for you to put that? I don't know. Um, but, and maybe that's true on Facebook as well, but I, I don't notice that so much. Well, I, I mean, I, I, after a long time of thinking about it, I took myself off Facebook um, probably three or four months ago now. Um, and it's just mainly because there was no, I had no real reason apart from the fact that I had been on there for so many years to actually be on there. There was no, you know, if my family members want to talk to me, they have my phone number, they know where I live, right? I don't need to, I don't need to update them in, the, in that fashion. And there is that thing of having to constantly kind of update, otherwise it is just pointless. It's, well, it, I disagree because... I'm not very active on Facebook at all, never have been. But when, when I was traveling, I used that as a way to contact everyone rather than sending emails to however many people. Um, so there are some photos on Facebook of me. And every now and then, if, I, if something like pops up, like a time hop or whatever, there's something nostalgic about that. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that, yeah, that moment. You're, you know, I have an iPhone. Your iPhone can do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I suppose. I I mean, if that's what you're on Facebook for, no, but but so then, data, okay, like, if if you did have a good circle perfect. of friends who all left comments on a particular event, and you're like, no, I've I mean, I've downloaded all of my data from it, so okay, so I have said, it. It's yeah. not like I just shut it and didn't do that. I, the first thing I made sure was that I can actually take all that data with me, um, but it just it just served no purpose. I was finding myself just being on there for the because it was part of my social media routine rather than feeling compelled to go in there for a, an actual reason. Um, I really didn't have one. Whereas with Instagram, I'm like, I, I enjoy Instagram. I enjoy the, I enjoy kind of looking through it. I enjoy seeing what people are doing in that format for now. Mm. I think I will get bored of it. Mm. Um, and Twitter still is my, uh, the one that I enjoy the most. Mm. I just feel like it's a much more varied experience like it has elements of instagram in that sense of being able to share things visually but it also has more of a conversation mm. and i feel like you really do get exposed to different discussions like i can't be so um even if you curate your friends like the, the people that you follow and that kind of stuff you still get exposed to other people's ideas other discussions just because of the way it's built and the algorithms that they that they use so I think it's a bit more open, whereas Instagram I don't feel like does that, unless you go to the browse function, which still pulls towards what you're into or what you've liked before. Mm. Um, whereas yeah, Twitter's kind of a little bit more chaotic than that. I kind of enjoy that. But there's a problem with all of them, <laughs> which is they're a terrible time suck. I mean, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. Twitter, but I spend way, way too much time on it. If I was on Facebook, it would be disastrous. I would never say, I certainly wouldn't write a book. <laughs> and there, and there's, a, there's an issue with that, because I wouldn't write a book if I was just on social media all the time. It, it kind of burns off your, your need to do things by providing you a kind of a, a short-term, quick-fix outlet for creativity and that kind of thing. I suspect okay. that's, that I would that's, suffer yeah. from that with Instagram, actually. But if you were using... You use Twitter a lot to promote conferences and, yeah. and, and obviously the book. Yeah. So is that, I mean, that still work technically? Or, or do, you have, do you leave a separate time for that? Or It's kind of still work, isn't it? Um, yes. 
and actually that's one of the worst things about going online or um, or going to Twitter is that you start doing something totally <laughs> sensible <laughs> and then three hours later <laughs> looking at pictures of cats absolutely <laughs> looking at pictures of cats <laughs> And how is how is the book doing? Your is it it's self published? Right? It is. It is yes, independently published through Amazon. So um, I've thought about looking to get a publisher on it, but they don't really provide a great deal these days compared to just doing it yourself. And I'm I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to have all the control, all the control. Eventually, I might decide I'm bored of that or whatever, but I quite like to just be able to do whatever I want whenever I want it and publish it as soon as I like and don't get held back on. And, and how, is it, how is it doing? Well, this? I've sold over 100, which is not bad in a month. Um, apparently, first books generally sell about a hundred, and that's it. Um, so <laughs> that's, 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 that's it. My last sale was this morning, <laughs> and that wasn't. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're you're writing a, a sequel yes, already. Yes, I am. And when is that? Ah, oh, well, I have. Um, so I did three thousand words today. I'm quite focused. I. I want to get the first draft done by the end of next week. So I'm on 30,000 words. And then it does take me another month or so of, um, of editing. But if you do the stuff yourself, the tools for writing books these days are fantastic. You can do the, the covers look great. You can design your own covers. You can um, do all the typesetting and everything else. And what, what are you using? Really today? good. Um, it's something called KDP, which is an Amazon... Um, desktop publishing basically, um, system, Kindle desktop publishing, and it's really, really good. The, the results, the, the books look fantastically slick. Um, so as soon as I've finished it, basically, I should be able to get it out as a slick looking book yeah. in days, wow. which is a total change, it's mad, isn't it? I mean, if you need, a, if you need someone to, uh, to like, I don't know, read it and I'm sure you're more than capable of sense checking, but I'd uh, be happy to. Oh, like, I will to take you up on that. Fire through. <laughs> yeah. And so, is the is the plan to have a series of these books, or is this the the last one? No, or? no, no. There will be a whole series of them. So apparently, uh, if you're an independent publisher, you really have to have ten. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You don't have ten, then you can't make any of the um, any of the marketing work in terms of the cost because you really need if people are buying one to buy the other nine yeah. as well yeah. so uh so i'm gonna have to do 10 and it, and even though i am quite fast 10 is going to take <laughs> I was gonna say a that. while yeah, yeah but I, I i don't so i know what's gonna happen in three in two well two is halfway is nearly done three i know what's gonna happen four i know what's gonna happen and the rest i have a bit of an inkling about what's gonna happen but we'll see how, where it goes <laughs> i think in, in terms of your in terms of your process, like do, now that you've kind of you've obviously done one book and you're halfway through your second, do you feel like the characters are making their decisions, or are you still kind of very much in in God mode and you know <laughs> like putting situations in front of them and and kind of forcing them into a certain way? Like are you you know do you know what I mean? I do know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so on this one, I would say I'm still slightly pushing them into a situation. So I've decided, oh, they're going to go here. But then once they're there, you, they don't necessarily do what you're expecting them to do. Um, and I suspect that's going to 
that's going to happen more and more as we go on. Yeah, the more so. the more you live with the characters, the more they take on their own, uh, like their real personality, and just kind of do whatever yes. they're going to do. Yeah. Well, uh, I a, assume. That's yeah, oh the, yes, yeah. that's definitely the case. And actually, you 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 start to think about things, and then you think. <gasps> Oh no, you know, <laughs> Lee, would, Lee would do that. It wouldn't, you know, and uh, or oh no, Lee did that in the last book. That means that this has to happen because it couldn't happen that that would happen and then this didn't happen. So it's in some ways the books write themselves because you realise that there was something that you did that was actually either sometimes out of character, sometimes in character, but wrong, but likely to cause them a problem later on. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it does kind of write itself. It's quite good. So what's, what does your, your desk look like? Have you got post-it notes of like things that happen? Because if you're writing 10... <laughs> exactly. If you're planning to write 10 and, or you know what's going to happen book five, you've got to have some kind of... I, I, uh, I basically, my desk is a Google document. So I have all my ideas go into that and I kind of put the chapters together. So as, a, as I'm writing the book, I'll, I'll start filling out, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of think, oh no, this is going to have to happen. Right, okay, I'll do a chapter outline and stick that at the end and know that at some point I have to put this chapter in. So if it's in the book, it's quite easy like that. And then at the end, you've kind of got all the chapters and then you realise you just have to put the, them in the right order and then fill them out. Um, but I've also got an, a section which is all the ideas that I've had for the next one um, to make sure that... Uh, and I've forced... Well, <laughs> I, I've finally forced my husband... To, to allow me to talk about what's going to happen in the future books. <laughs> because uh, to start with, he said, no, you can't tell me about what's going to happen in the future books because it's a spoiler and it'll spoil it for me. But it's quite hard to not have anybody to talk to about what's going to happen in the future books. So he has relented on that. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. You need someone like that, right? Otherwise, because you need to run it by someone as well. Yeah. Does, does this make sense? Is this, <laughs> is this plausible? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and the cover art of the book is a painting by you. Was was the painting first or the, the book first? Did one influence the other? Uh, they kind of did influence each other, yes. So I had been commissioned to do a painting for that was going to be auctioned for charity at a tech conference last year. So... Um, and I realised when I was doing it that I really wanted it to be the cover for my first book. So I kind of put things into it that I knew I was going to put into the book. Right. So it became a kind of a, a, a work in progress, a, a kind of a, a balance of ideas from this, go to ideas from that. Yeah. Nice. Um, and that kind of art, is, is refer, you refer to yourself as a naive artist? Yes. And what, what does that mean? Well, uh, actually, do I refer to myself as a naive artist? <laughs> I am... Um... Well, at least you did whilst you <laughs> exhibited here. <laughs> I did, um, I used to be a member, and I have let it lapse, and I really need to fix that up. Um, I used to be a member of uh, an organisation that that's rather unfortunately known as the Association of British Naive Artists. Um... <laughs> And uh, so the idea is, the idea of a naive artist is that you are self-taught, which I am self-taught, um, which means you tend to use techniques that are slightly different to the techniques that you would be taught if you wanted something. So I would say probably my paintings are not going to last for 500 years. <laughs> They'll probably last for 100 years, but they probably won't last for 500 years. Um, 
But do I care? Well, 500 years is a long time, let's face it. <laughs> the last 500 years anyway. <laughs> um, and, and with your, your paintings, I, I always found, like, and this was last year you exhibited here, um, there was something ominous about your paintings. They're kind of vibrant and bright and these jolly kind of landscapes, but there was something a little bit, I don't know, eerie maybe, these faceless sheep or... <laughs> black crows or the kind of power stations or, or lighthouses which is kind of like a, a dystopian landscape so there's clearly something in your paintings and in your your writing that yes i do i do like it to be a little bit unclear i, I like like people to be able to read what they think into the into the thing which means you know it's a bit it's not just a you know oh, a flower uh, but a sinister flower. Yeah, <laughs> sinister, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> uh, so, yes, so, yeah. But if you, I do notice, that some people are just cheerful and they don't notice any of the sinister stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so you really, I kind of think you want to... So is it telling of my... It is slightly. Psychopath. <laughs> Psychopath. <laughs> um, raw shot. <laughs> so you also worked with... Uh, an actor with your um, painting style, didn't you? Yes, yes. Um, so this was a couple of years back now. I um, taught a Oscar-nominated actress how to paint like a naive um, uh, Nova Scotian artist for a biopic of her life. Uh, so this was Sally Hawkins, who was Oscar nominated for Best Actress this year. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I would love Sally to voice over my book. <laughs> oh. She's marvellous. She's a bit, a bit on the steep side <laughs> for me, I would suspect. Um, but uh, yeah, she's a fantastic actress and really, really nice woman as well. Uh, and and actually an extremely good artist. So the film that they made in the end, which came out... Um, uh, this time last year was was very very good and she painted almost everything in there by the end she could forge Maud Lewis the, the film is called Maudie I would totally recommend it and everything in it basically she painted and she had uh, a good teacher then obviously <laughs> <laughs> we had a good time I have to say we had a good time wow. so how did you how did you get that job do you it was through the Association of British okay. Live Artists so the, um, the director was looking for somebody to teacher who was in a similar who had a similar style to Maud Lewis now and, and it was actually quite interesting because on the surface our styles don't look similar at all they look completely different but actually in terms of how I do it it was very very similar so uh, although the, the 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 end result looks quite different the underlying technique was quite similar and the director obviously spotted that because it turns out that she had a um a fine art degree so mm. She was obviously able to spot that they were, you know, I could teach how to do it because it was quite similar to what I did. So that's, that's what I like so much about, about you as a person. You're just, <laughs> you, you say you're going to do something and then you do it. Like you're going to write a book and you've, you've done it. <laughs> you, and same with the, uh, the ethics in technology conference. I remember you saying you were planning this and then last summer, was it last yes, summer? It, it last happened. Summer, yeah. Um, and so for in layman's terms, what is uh, ethics in technology to you in the conference? What was that about? Uh, well, it, it all came back down to something that happened about two years ago. 
uh, which you may have read about in The Guardian. It's always the place where you get these things reported. There was a, um, a young engineer at Google called James Damore, who got into loads and loads of trouble for writing a memo that got, this is the, don't put it in an email if you don't want the world to see it. Put it in an email, the world saw it, and it was all about how um, they shouldn't really have any more women at Google because, um, because men, because Google is about things and men like things and women like people and that's why there aren't any women at Google. Uh, and um, and wow. well, no, I, t- I thought it was interesting. And there was a huge, have you got the, he got the sack? Not surprisingly, not, not necessarily, because it was a ridiculously stupid thing to do because at the time Google were in the middle of a suit <laughs> a legal suit with a lot of women complaining that it was a bad environment. So, oh my goodness, mate, what, what a stupid thing to do to write that right at this particular moment. It was obviously an idiot and should be smacked around the head. Uh, <laughs> I would have fired him. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I, I wouldn't have fired him for saying what he thought, which, uh, which was not as crazy as, you know, on average, actually, statistically, women are more interested in, in people, on, or statistically on average, than men are, and men are statistically on average more interested in things than people. So it's not, uh, it wasn't necessarily a crazy thing to do, but it was an idiotic thing to do in the middle of, well, they were in the middle of a suit, it probably cost them millions and millions of quid. Um, but the interesting thing about that was not his statement about men and women. Everybody went crazy about, oh no, everybody's interested in things, Women are just interested in things as men. We're all just interested in things. And I thought, well, this is a little disturbing, isn't it? Because Google are one of the biggest and most important uh, companies in the world. All of these, you know, the biggest six companies in the world by market cap are tech companies. Are they really only interested in things and not interested in people? And when someone says that, no one even questions it. No one says, well, hang on a minute, we might actually have to think about something other than algorithms and we might have to think about what the impact is of our technology and why we're doing it. We might actually need to have, we're not three guys in a garage doing something for their mates. We are a company that is affecting what goes on for billions of people. We cannot afford that to be entirely about things and not about people. And yet nobody was was picking him up on this and saying, well, hang on a minute, it doesn't really matter whether we're, whether men or women are interested in people or things, we actually need people to be interested in things as well as people at these big companies. Uh, and that's what made me start to organise these tech conferences, which is kind of about getting tech techies to talk about things that are not just an algorithm. They are, well, what does it do and how does it affect people? Because uh, that's the point of making things, isn't it? It's it's, we don't make things not so for them to affect people, but that's the purpose. And then if you look at what's happened at Facebook since, mm. that's absolutely what happens when you don't think about the effects of the technology that you're producing. So um, I set up the conferences to try and get people to be a little bit more focused on thing, people as well as things. And, and how, how, do you, how do you do that? What's the kind of... Thing that you were teaching them to do? Uh, well, it was actually at, th- at that stage, uh, it was mostly about um, getting a whole load of people who were thinking about these things into a room to talk about all the different aspects of it. So we had somebody, um, we had a woman who was a, um, a human rights lawyer who was campaigning against 
uh, drone strikes in the Yemen killing innocent people. So her, her talk was all about, look, when you write these things, is actually people will die. If you get this wrong, innocent people will die. Um, and uh, then we had various people talking about big data and how it could be used or misused and accessible software. And finally, uh, the final uh, speaker was talking about chatbots, um, which is very, so I actually based a lot of the book on what I learned from um, Steve Warswick, Mitsuku, the, the, the world's best human emulating software. And he's very, very keen to make sure that everybody is always aware that chatbots are not people. They are just mm. scripts. Because there's an awful lot of stuff going on at the moment where people are pretending that chatbots are actually mm. sentient, like um, Sophia, the, the chatbot. It's, it's just a script. Yeah. It's just a script. Wow. And you're lying to people by saying this. And, you, and it's dangerous as well, because people will assume that um, people will assume that computers are always right if you tell them that they're actually sentient and they know what they're doing as opposed to it's a script and it could have a bug in it it's there's a huge huge it's incredibly important that people don't over ascribe correctness to computers they would they make mistakes um, uh, so so that conference was all about that but since then we pulled out one aspect of it which because um, we were looking for concrete so that was a kind of awareness setting thing uh, but I wanted to pull out some very concrete actions. And, and one of the concrete actions we pulled out was um, for climate change. The tech industry, the servers that all of our applications run on, use about the same amount of energy as the entire aviation industry. But we are not under any pressure in tech to do anything about that because no one knows. No one knows what a data center does or anything like that. Um, AV is a huge huge yeah. uh, factor in that Netflix yeah. um, and we yes we're not under any pressure um, so AWS the Amazon hosting service which is where Netflix are um, produce all this um, uh, video uh, that's that requires a huge amount of power to process um, that's it's 50% um, sustainable power it's 50% offset what they use but that means that as they grow, their carbon footprint grows. Um, now, some of the others aren't. Google are better, um, Facebook are better, um, Microsoft are better. But nonetheless, we need to... Amazon are the, are the elephants in the room. They are the future of where things are, be hosting, uh, things are going to be hosted. And they use a heck of a lot of fossil fuels to power all the tech that you're using. And so we need to be putting pressure on them to change that. So cryptocurrency as well. Oh God, cryptocurrency, that's terrible. Yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> that is actually the worst. Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. you're burning electricity to yeah. create well, not a lot of money. Yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's huge. So cryptocurrencies burn about as much energy as a small country. Yeah. And it's oh. mostly in China mm. where it's mostly fossil fuel powered. Mm. So anybody who has a Bitcoin is utterly unethical. <laughs> <laughs> Causing climate change. I don't have any. They are causing <laughs> climate change. None of us have no. bitcoins. None of us have bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then what, what's the solution then? Because these... Ah, well, that's an interesting one. So uh, consumers can choose. Um, now, individual consumers, not so much. Uh, businesses can choose where they host. So, uh, so we're trying to put a lot of pressure on businesses to choose to host places which are uh, cleaner. Uh, 
And quite often they just haven't thought about it, which again is crazy because why haven't they thought about it? This is what they do, but they haven't thought about it. If they do think about it, there's more chance that they'll actually do the right thing. In the long run, we really need government action on this. Um, so when you say cleaner, you just mean so um, energy that comes from like wind farms or... or well, it, it's an interesting one because it's hard at the moment to run a um, data centre directly off uh, renewable energy uh, because it tends to be not quite steady enough. There are places where you can do that, um, but there are a lot of countries where there is a great deal of renewable power, like, for example, Ireland. So if you host in Ireland or in Germany, where a lot of, it, uh, of, of data centres are powered from nuclear power, so that's all non-fossil fuel, that's, mm. that's clean. Um, so there are countries that you can choose which are a lot cleaner. One of the projects that I'm involved in at the moment, or I would really like to promote more, is Greenland has a, an enormous capacity for um, pre having uh, data centres that, that are entirely renewably powered, because Greenland has um, hydropower from, has a very, very steady hydropower, which is meltwater runoff from glaciers. Uh, yeah. And uh, they could easily run a huge number of data centres there, but at the moment it's very early and they don't even have the data connections to mm. Greenland to do that. So it's, it's, it's early days, but those kind of places, Iceland, where they pretend to run it from ge geothermal power, there are lots of places where it's much, much cleaner to host your service. But not cheaper. At but the not cheaper. Mm. No. And, uh, well, fossil fuels the... are, are subsidised, yeah. and that's the problem we have at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I can see why they are, because mm. we we kind of need all this stuff to keep us alive, but to, to keep all of the. But there are an awful lot of options out there that don't quite get developed, just because fossil fuel is so cheap, people can't be bothered. Uh, I was looking into, um, for my next book, I have been doing a bit of research into atomic-powered cargo ships, uh, which are apparently really not as... Uh, they've been done before, and there are, quite, there are some atomic-powered icebreakers out there in, in the Russian fleet. Um, it's quite... it's doable, but it's just slightly not commercially viable, given that its fossil fuels are so cheap. Mm. But it's quite close. But nobody's really going to do it because fossil fuels are still the cheapest way to do it. And isn't there any? Isn't there? A, is there any risk in terms of you know it being safe? Well, I mean, to if, be operating that kind so of. There are a heck of a lot of boats out there which are nuclear powered. Uh, it, uh, all aircraft carriers are, and um, submarines. Okay. So it's actually quite proven technology, and there's never been an accident. Do you not still have like? Waste from nuclear as well. Yeah, you do. But it's disposing of, of waste as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's another it is. thing that's terrible for the environment. But it's not, it's differently terrible, isn't it? So it's <laughs> yeah, it's terrible or worse terrible? You can't get right now, it's for kind of better. long terrible. time though, right? Yes. Although there's been like a lot hundreds of, of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, versus a bunch of stuff that is just never going to degrade. Yeah. Yes, it's, yeah, I, it's, I think it is at the moment a better, slightly better option given where we are. But the long term, it's still not the one, is it? No, yeah. we really want another one. It's, it, but it's the closest I think we have. 
Uh, well, actually, solar and wind is doing solar, really well. Yeah. But yeah. solar and wind. Hydro. Yeah, you, you can't you can't use that. Can't there, lot, there are lots of things <laughs> that you can't do with that. So you couldn't. It's not enough for you to. You couldn't power a cargo ship with it. No. <laughs> no. Uh, but you could do nuclear. So it's kind yeah. of. So is it not then? It sounds like it's more of a hybrid situation. So using using all of the above. Yes. To cover, you know, using using different types of energy Avoiding for different types fossil of things. fuels, basically. Yes. Yeah. So it's not just a one fuel to rule them all. Yeah. So uh, trying to use as many as possible. It makes yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So have you got another conference coming up? I haven't done one this year, I have to say. I have to have a think about what I'm going to do next. Because I've been so tied up in writing the books. Because mm. I kind of want to see how the books work as a way of... So I've put all of the stuff that's coming out of that, those conferences into the books. And I want to see whether or not that's a way of getting people to think about and talk about these things. Because actually, the, I mean, the books are very much designed to get people to talk about things that they wouldn't normally talk about. So if it works, it's a very scalable way, much more scalable than getting 100 people in a room to, to go to a conference. Uh, it's, but I have to see. I'll have to see how it, how it goes. There's been, there's been a lot of interesting conversations around um, like gender bias in, in data in itself. Ah, yes. Um, that's, been, that's been kind of piquing my interest. Um, there's a good book, and I will, I'll tell you the name <laughs> so, you can, <laughs> so you can put it into the show notes because the name's escaped me right now. But um, it's excellent. It kind of talks about the things we would never have thought of where gender bias would come into it in terms of data. I think one of, and I may be misquoting it, so don't take it as gospel, but um, there was one uh, example which was with crash test dummies. Oh, yes. Um, and, and something to do with like, the sizing and the seatbelt position is kind of predominantly for the male um, body. So it shows all the impact and all the dangers of a male sitting in the driver's seat, but doesn't then, you know, the car seat, the seatbelt position doesn't change for a female driver. It stays in the exact same position, doesn't it? But on average, women are smaller than men, right? So it should, you should be able to adjust the, you know, the seat level to come across you in a different way. There must be some danger in having that thing movable otherwise they would have done like it seems a pretty obvious no it seems <laughs> like an obvious you, design flaw you think so i'll give you the book yeah i'll read, I'll read <laughs> it <laughs> it's, it's genuinely interesting there's a there's a bunch of other examples none of which i can think of on the spot but um, it's really it was, it was a very interesting thing they were talking about because it's a ton of things that you never think of and it and partly it's because of well i assume the people who are writing the code the people who are putting the data the people who are crunching in numbers predominantly male yeah so yeah. you're I mean not even on purpose you're going to end up skewing everything sort of towards yourself but you're applying it to absolutely everyone mm. so it's going to cause problems with those I, I there was a very interesting um, uh, program on Re Radio 4 last week before start of the week when they had somebody in talking about exactly that mm. in medical studies that apparently almost all medical research is done on men mm. And they've discovered some appallingly eye-watering stuff when they actually do it on women. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so thalidomide, for example, was mostly because it wasn't tested on women, and um, it certainly wasn't tested on pregnant women. So, yeah, There's, yeah, I think I, I have a feeling it might actually. It's a uh, what is her name? This is terrible. 
I will check it and I might even insert me saying the name into that spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not the weapons of math destruction. No, oh. no, I'll look it up. I've got it. You know, I'll, I'll check on my phone mm. um, and I'll tell you. But it's, it is a very interesting book. I mean, I it's one of those books you can you can read a bit and put down, read a bit and put down. It's not kind of it's not a you know, it's not that kind of narrative thing where you can. You, it's just excellent. It's really good. It's really interesting. So yeah, I'll pass that one. Interesting. Um, I was going to ask you something. Well, it's kind of related, but nothing to do with um, ethics and technology. Um, what technology do you use specifically that helps you day to day? Because you said you have uh, Alexa everywhere, and what what other? I mean, I'm not at the cutting edge of technology. I, I use it obviously, <laughs> but I'm not kind of. I don't use it much to kind of help me out. Is what would you recommend? That's an obvious piece of technology that... Well, I know what I love, but most other people don't love it. I totally love it to death, which is um, I my Google Chromebook, which is a kind of... It's a, a laptop that's where the operating system is effectively in the cloud. You know, there's very little on the machine. So if I lose it, because I always, I always fear... I always drop things all the time, and I always fear that I'm going to lose, I'm going to leave my laptop somewhere. I often leave things around places as well. So I don't want anything on the machine. Uh, I want to be able to just get a new one and get going with it without having lost anything. And I want it to be super cheap in case I drop it. Uh, and I to it's totally fantastic. About it. And it's very, very secure. It's the securest thing on the market. Uh, not that I have anything. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, it's, it's just for browsing and... Uh, no, you can do anything you like. Okay. Really. Um, there's not that much that you actually need. It's got a hard drive, so you can temporarily store things while you're offline, and then as soon as it goes online, it uploads up to the cloud, so you've got a backup. So it's all instantly backed up as well. I totally love it. Um, but that's probably that's not a very exciting piece of technology. No, I was, I was hoping <laughs> for something. <laughs> like one of these apps that, I don't know, there's always something, isn't there, that's just I know, actually, brilliant. I have to say, I don't play around with new tech all that much. I... Um, is there anything that I absolutely love and I would... No, I mean, I hardly ever install an app. I can't remember. I haven't wow. installed an app in years. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> I use that quite a lot. <laughs> so the, the bizarre thing is, I'm actually the worst person in the world to ask that question. Of. I, I am in many ways a total Luddite. Oh, <laughs> same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you you like obviously Google Docs and, yeah, and things yeah. like that. Yes, they're, they're all handy tools, aren't they? But, yeah, they are. Yeah. Always ask him how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I am I am surprised that we're not more leaning towards that style of working, um, where every, where all the power is, you know, somewhere on a cloud mm. server somewhere, and you're just accessing it, right, and just using. I guess it's it's, it's speed of data, right? Like that's but, what must limit. To be honest, it's done. fine. You know, I mean, it, I can live. You can live stream mm. TV off. If you can live stream TV off. Yeah. Then it can. It's you know, I'm not going to do any flash trading. But yeah. I couldn't do any flash trading on my Windows machine either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. it's just, I, I find it really interesting because where I where I work, we still use you know, laptops with all of the programs on it. Uh, whereas I'm. I, I'm, I always think like, why don't we just have a keyboard and a monitor and just type in your login details and it, you know, then you're in rather than it being a 
taking a laptop with you like so you can just sit at any computer anywhere in the world and just be like mm. right I'll go to yeah. you know company.com then just type in these and then you're in your user your user interface which is exactly the same as the Chromebook concept yeah. I don't really understand why it hasn't taken off I so other technologies that haven't taken off that I'm very disappointed by I would have loved to have a pair of Google glasses I would have loved it but they all just they disappeared before, before. yeah they disappeared into industry yeah. And that's where I feel like it was always going to do really well. Yeah, head uh, up displays. Use, yeah, 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 it's excellent for that. Absolutely excellent. They are, they are redesigning at the moment. Um, but, but it was a little too early. That's the truth of it. It was way too early and it opened up way too many questions that they couldn't answer in the ethics field. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and that whole like constantly being surveilled and not knowing when you're being surveilled. I yes. think it was, it was just too obvious for people. So, so it was a, a pair of glasses that had a camera on them on all the time and people found that quite freaky but it was quite panopticon like I would have loved to have one of those Google glasses um, but, but yes yeah so that's something I would like it will come back yeah, it will definitely come back I mean, you're, I mean it may, maybe not it, it will come back in like a pair of normal glasses like you wouldn't know and that's I think people aren't realising that that's going to be the bit where there'll have to be some serious governance involved in when you're allowed to, you know, when you're allowed to film and when you're not allowed to. Yeah, but, I mean, we're all filmed. Yeah, but it's about people's level of comfort though, right? Like, if you, if you kind of know you're generally CCTV being filmed, it's kind of a given, right? It's to, like, in, in my mind, it's to prevent crime and it's kind of just making sure people are, you know, aren't doing bad things in a really simplistic way there's there's an element of people being individually able to film you that's more voyeuristic mm. um, I think that's probably what puts people off mm. I think it probably is but I think they'll probably have to get over it yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's coming it's gonna it, it will happen it will happen um, I think a, AR and, and VR I think AR will be the thing that kind of crosses the threshold mm. properly for most people um, because I think VR there's still too much too many different things that you need to be able to partake in a decent VR experience and yeah. also the, the amount of time you can wear a headset yeah. is limited um, due to battery power motion sickness and a whole bunch of other things that are not fun to experience motion sickness yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I've never, not never done yeah. oh my goodness yeah. it makes yeah. you feel really yeah. it's, it's uncomfortable it's oh. very it's not nice um, they're cool. They're very gimmicky at the moment, uh, but it will get there. Like that worries me a bit. Like, which bit? VR, just kids wearing headsets and just being in like, kind of like your book, just being yeah. in, in in these <laughs> yeah. games. Well, there's been, yeah. And it's like more exciting than their actual life. It's, but that's yeah. already true. Yeah. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Without, without their headsets, yeah. Yeah, like, that's think how many kids true. play Fortnite? Think how many yeah. play yeah. Call of Duty and all the other like online connected games is they're doing that already um, just because they're gone what's AR? <laughs> um, augmented reality so um, like like Pokemon games where you uh, see yeah, that yeah. and then you've got something splattered yeah, on right, yeah, the image yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you've got a mixture of what you're saying and yeah. seeing and yes and no. the, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the cool thing is it's getting it's getting um, better and better like that you know, there was a time when you, when they were doing the first kind of apps and showing it's how it was going to be implemented. It was very, it was kind of so obvious that it was 
AR and that was just something that was sitting there and it couldn't really the whole like, distance perception and having something in front of it mm. wasn't really working out whereas now you know if I put something there that wire will be in front of the the thing like it will in- essentially interact with the space hmm. so it's getting really uh, really intelligent and really that I think is really exciting so apart from it just being for like games and and silly things and you know frivolous things it's there's a lot of um, really interesting like industry application of it mm. super interesting yeah, it is. Sorry, I'll be talking more about that in book three. Ah. <laughs> 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 any any further thoughts, questions, or or is there anything you would like to say that you you haven't? No, well, I I should probably say that I come in here every Friday to uh, with my writing group, which is just two of us. Um, and, you know, it's really nice to have the resource to come here and have a coffee and lunch and get working on what we're working on. So uh, I appreciate the, uh, the space. Oh, good, good. Glad we could uh, be of assistance. Um, yeah, thanks for coming and talking to us. Um, when is the second book out? Roughly? Um, I would say probably August. Okay. All right, great. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. And good luck with the second book. That was episode six of the Poor of a Podcast. Follow us at Poor of a Podcast on Instagram. And you can follow me, Jade, at Black J Films. You can follow me, James, at Mr. Dots James Stanton on Instagram. You can follow me, Colin, at Colin underscore Stanton 82. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one.